I do want to encourage you now to, uh, to grab your Bible and to open it to Proverbs chapter 1. We are beginning our summer series this morning. Uh, you would look outside and not know that it is summer, but trust me, summer is uh, on the horizon. And so we're going to spend the next 13 weeks uh, in our time together. We're going to spend that time exploring Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. And I'll just tell you up front that I love the book of Proverbs. I try to read through it several times each year. I have sought to memorize uh, significant portions of it. I find great value. There's great practical things to be learned from immersing ourselves in a book like the book of Proverbs. And I would just say that applying the truths that are contained in this book to your life will have a great impact on your life. As you take the wisdom that you find here, you will find that it helps you grow in your relationships, your friendships, your marriage, your relationship to your parents, your relationship to your kids, your relationship to your neighbor or your coworker. Applying the wisdom of this book will help you in things like your finances and your work life and your decision making processes. It'll help you with your speech. And even more important than all of that, the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs will help us grow in our relationship with God. So we've called this series the beginning of wisdom. And we chose that title because the theme of the book is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We also chose that title because we are looking at the beginning of wisdom. We're taking our time to make our way through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. So the beginning of wisdom. And there is a lot of wisdom to be found in this book. And I would say that we need God's wisdom now more than ever. So having said that by way of introduction, I want to read for you just the opening seven verses of the book of Proverbs. This is God's word, and this is what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands, obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, I want to keep things fairly simple today as we make our way through these verses. I want to highlight five things that we need to know about wisdom. And the first one is that wisdom is necessary, but neglect it. So verse 1 simply tells us that the Proverbs contained in this book were written or collected by Solomon. And since that is the case, it might be helpful for us just to review Solomon's story a little bit. Solomon is a fascinating figure. We're told elsewhere that he was the wisest man who ever lived. His story or his biography is given to us in 1 Kings chapters 1 to 11. And one of the things we read about him in that portion is just the scope of his wisdom, just how wise he was. And it says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. 
and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman and Calcol and Darda the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. So Solomon's wisdom seemed to know no bounds. And people traveled from far and wide just to hear him pontificate. He could weigh in on everything from botany to entomology. So we learned that he was wise. Wiser maybe than, everyone, than anyone else. The book of 1 Kings also tells us just how it was that he became so wise. Now you might remember the story. After his father, King David, had died, Solomon became king. And when he became king, God appeared to him in a vision or a dream and basically said, ask for whatever you want and I will grant it to you. And if you know the story, you know that Solomon's request was for wisdom. And here's how God answered that prayer. And God said to him, because you've asked for this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. This is God's answer to Solomon's prayer or his request for wisdom. He asks for wisdom and God grants him his wisdom. And it's not just the kind of wisdom that comes from a lot of study. It is God's supernatural wisdom. Now, if you know the story, then you know that the wisdom of Solomon was quickly put to the test. The next thing that happens in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, it recounts this story. It says, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him and she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. So at the very beginning of his reign, Solomon is faced with a moral dilemma. What will he do? How should he adjudicate this situation? The passage goes on to tell us, and it's a demonstration of his wisdom. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. 
So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And the king answered and said, Give give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Now, it's a great story, right? You've probably heard that story before, or you're familiar with that story, but it's not just a story. It's a story that is telling us that wisdom is necessary, but neglected. Look, if most people were granted sort of that one wish, they're probably going to go for the riches or the long life or the fame or something along those lines. But what the story of Solomon tells us is that the thing that we need above everything else is wisdom. We need God's wisdom. And the Proverbs that we read in this book are going to help us understand that wisdom is far more valuable than riches or fame or even long life. In Proverbs 3, it says it like this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her or can compare with her. Now, if that is true, if we believe that, then wisdom is something that we seek with our whole being. This is the thing that we desire. We understand that it is necessary for all aspects of life, and therefore we do not neglect it. Now, this is true at all times, but if the events of the past few months, of just the past few months, have taught us anything, they have taught us that we live in a complex world. We face moral dilemmas all the time. And the thing we need more than anything else is the very wisdom of God. So wisdom is necessary, but often neglected. A second thing we learn from the very outset of this book is that wisdom is never merely intellectual, but always practical. Now, before we unpack all that is in these opening verses, I want to begin just by giving you a definition for wisdom, and this will carry us throughout the series. Now, the dictionary defines wisdom as knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action, sagacity, discernment, or insight. Look, I don't even know what some of those words mean, but it sounds good. So let me give you a simpler definition. Wisdom is the skill to navigate life. Wisdom is the skill to navigate life. Tremper Longman III puts a little more meat on the bones of that definition when he says this, Wisdom is the skill of living. It is a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. That's a good working definition of wisdom. It's the skill of living. But I want to delve just a bit deeper into that and explain specifically what these opening verses teach us about wisdom. Listen again to verses 2 and 3. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, 
to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. See, there's an insight that comes. But notice that the words have a practical, all of them really have a practical bent to them. We're told that wisdom is associated with wise dealing. It's in the way that you deal with others. Righteousness, or right conduct, justice, and equity. None of those terms can be limited to academic pursuits, something that we just attain with our mind. All of those terms have something to do with everyday life. They have to do with decision-making. They have to do with a standard of conduct as we relate to others. The overarching word here is the word wisdom. The Hebrew word is hakmah. And hakmah essentially means skill. It's often used to refer to skill in the arts or craftsmanship or leadership, but it primarily refers to skill in living. And this is what Proverbs is at pains to help us understand. What we need is skill for life, skill for living. I want to take you to Proverbs chapter 30 just to demonstrate that the wisdom or that wisdom that Proverbs is talking about cannot be limited to intelligence, pure and simple. Proverbs 30, verses 24 to 28 says this. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. And notice that those verses do not say that these creatures possess amazing intellect, but that they possess wisdom. And their wisdom is demonstrated in their ability to navigate their circumstances and their situations well. Ants gather their food in the summer when it's available so that they will have enough food for the winter when it's not so available. That's what wisdom looks like. It's extremely practical. And maybe it should be a little bit humbling to us to realize that ants are often a lot wiser than we are, or at least that, 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 than some people who have staggering intellects who cannot seem to get the idea that they need to prepare for the winters of their lives. So understanding that wisdom is practical and not just intellectual, I think is especially important in our day because we live in the information age. Knowledge is accessible to us in ways that are completely unprecedented. I mean, if you've got a question about something, you know, you just ask Siri or OK Google it or look it up on Wikipedia and within seconds you have an answer. We have vast storehouses of information and knowledge. There are more university-educated people today than at any time in human history. And yet, despite these vast storehouses of knowledge and information, there seems to be very little wisdom in the world. And what we need to remember is that there can be a vast difference between wisdom and knowledge. This explains why there are so many smart people who end up saying and doing so many dumb things. See, knowledge can tell you that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But wisdom will sometimes tell you that, you know, that the best route to take in this case is not actually a straight line. Wisdom has insight to know that there might be more than one possibility or two possibilities. 
So wisdom and knowledge are sometimes different. Been a number of studies that have been done demonstrating that once you get to a certain point, differences in IQ actually make very little difference or have very little bearing on success in life. It's a fascinating chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, where he chronicles this. The chapter is called The The Trouble with uh, Geniuses. And he chronicles it with the story of a man named Christopher Langan. So Einstein, from what we understand, had an IQ of 150, which is pretty impressive. Christopher Langan had an IQ of 195. He's been called the smartest man in America. But here's the thing. Mr. Langan's high IQ did not translate to success in life. He could not navigate life well. He had trouble holding down a steady job. He had trouble maintaining steady relationships. And the reason is because there's not always a correlation between analytical intelligence and practical or emotional intelligence or wisdom on the other side of that. Those things are said to be orthogonal. It's a word you can break out at your next cocktail party. It simply means that the presence of one does not guarantee the presence of the other. So you can be very smart and still not possess wisdom. Many of you will know that Ravi Zacharias passed away uh, last month. Ravi was a brilliant apologist. I mean, he had this amazing ability to connect with people at a deep intellectual level, but he could also connect with them at a relational level. And he told the story of attending a dinner party in Paris with some of the leading intellectuals from the city. He had been invited there because the host wanted him to interact with these individuals. One of those in attendance was the head of one of the most prestigious business schools in all of Europe. And the man had said to Ravi on that evening, so you deal with ethics. Ravi said, yes, I do. And the man then went on to explain, well, we don't teach ethics in our business school. It's not a subject. But 30 minutes later, the man went on to say that the school had three of its graduates running for the past election. Ravi asked how they did. The man said, well, actually not very well. One was a womanizer. The second was an alcoholic. And the third one turned turned out to be very corrupt. It was at that point that Ravi's wife leaned over to him and said, maybe they should start teaching ethics at that school. See, wisdom is about both clear thinking or right thinking and deep character. Those things are applied together. Listen to how James made that same point in the New Testament. He said, who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show it by his good grades. It's not what it says. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So here's the question for you to think about at the very start of our series, the beginning of wisdom. Are you a wise person? Do you possess wisdom? And part of the way for you to know is to look at your life and look at the decisions you're making. Are you living wisely? Is your life characterized by the good deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom? 
something further we learn about wisdom from these verses, namely that wisdom doesn't come naturally or with age, but it is available for everyone. Listen now to verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So this verse identifies two groups of people who desperately need wisdom. The simple and the young or the youth. Now when it says simple, it's not a reference to those who might lack some sort of mental ability. But to those who are naive or gullible. Those who are easily persuaded. The simple are those who are mentally and morally uncommitted. That's what it means to be simple in the book of Proverbs. You haven't made up your mind, and so you're easily swayed to do this or to do that. The term youth or young that's used here has reference to both age and maturity. So the young are those who stand at the threshold of adulthood and they need to make a decision about which path they will take in life. I think one of the implications from this verse is that people are not born wise. We need to be taught. We need to learn wisdom. We often hear people refer to things like common sense, and we all know that common sense is not very common. But I would go one step further than that and say that our default setting is not wisdom. It's not sensibility. Our default setting is foolishness. Later in Proverbs, Solomon puts it this way, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, if you have kids, you know this. I mean, children are not born as wise. They're not even born as blank slates. Children are born with a propensity to do foolish things. And part of the reason those who are young lack wisdom is because they lack experience. A number of years ago, a friend of mine told me about a a learning experience his teenage son had. He had just graduated from high school. He was a bright kid. He was about to start attending university on a scholarship. And so as a graduation gift, his parents bought him a new computer. The only stipulation was that he had to fill out the rebate form and mail it in within 30 days so they could get, you know, their $100 or whatever the rebate was back. No problem, right? Pretty simple task. My friend's son kept putting it off and putting it off. But after being reminded several times, he went into his room and he vowed not to come out until he was done, until he had filled that little piece of paper out. But he came out a couple of hours later. They said, well, did did you fill it out? He said, well, look, I'm almost done. I just have to find the APT number on the computer, but I can't seem to find it. Next day, he spent another hour. He combed every square inch of that computer and that box trying to find the APT number. Finally, his mom agreed to help him. She took the little piece of paper, looked at it, name, address, APT number, and it was clear right at the outset. What they wanted is the apartment number if there was one. Now, look, I would venture to guess that's a mistake he would never make again, right? That simple experience can be a good teacher. In fact, one of the ways we could define a proverb is that it is a short sentence founded on long experience that we learn from our experiences. As we go through life, we have an opportunity to learn from our mistakes, but not everyone does. 
That's why I said that wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age either. As one keen observer put it, wisdom doesn't automatically come with old age. Nothing does except wrinkles. It's true that some wines improve with age, but only if the grapes were good in the first place. And so I would encourage you, those of you who are young, pursue wisdom, seek wisdom, make it your life's ambition to grow in wisdom. But say something to those of you who are older as well, just as we've all seen really smart people do really dumb things. We've also encountered older people who were foolish and not wise. Listen to the way Solomon described this very problem in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, Better is a poor, or better, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. As a matter of fact, this is one of the ways you can distinguish a wise person from a foolish person. It has more to do with than just how much experience you have. It has to do with how much you learn from your experiences. And some people just go through life just repeating the same mistakes over and over. Proverbs captures this memorably with these words. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And it's just such a vivid picture, right? It just keeps going back to the same mess over and over again. The cycle just gets repeated. So the bad news is that we were not born with wisdom and we don't become wise simply by living a long time but there's good news in this verse and that is that wisdom is available to all of us you don't need to be really smart to attain wisdom in fact i would say you're more likely to gain wisdom if you recognize that you are simple let me take you back to what james tells us in the new testament he says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now that verse is often misunderstood and taken to mean that, you know, when we encounter a difficult situation, we just pray for wisdom, poof, we know exactly what to do. That's not what it's saying. What the verse is saying is that if we recognize that we are, like Proverbs 1 describes us, simple, lacking in wisdom, Maybe we're young, maybe we're more advanced in years, but we acknowledge that we don't have all the wisdom we need. And if we ask God for his wisdom, he will give it to us. And one of the ways he gives us his wisdom is through his word. Again, my encouragement to you at the outset of this series is to spend time reading through this great book. Allow it to influence you and shape the way you live. More precious than jewels. Now, look, I'm a bit of a cynic in life, right? When I hear claims of, you know, this is going to change your life or revolutionize your life, I immediately kind of put my, you know, defenses up. Like, I don't believe that. But when it comes to the promises that are made here in the opening part of Proverbs, the great value that wisdom has for our lives, I have absolute confidence in the benefits that it promises. And I say that for two reasons. One reason is because this is God's word. And if it promises it, I believe it will come to pass. But secondly, I say it because of the experience that I've had with the book of Proverbs. I've told you this before, but when I was just a young Christian, someone said to me, look, Proverbs has 31 chapters. You know, you could read a chapter every day each month. And I did that for I don't know how long. I don't know for how many years I I did that, but I benefited in a huge way 
and reap the fruit of that. Fourth thing we learn about wisdom in these opening verses. And that is that wisdom is not something we can master because it only comes to those who are teachable. Verse 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. So verse 4 is addressed to those on one end of the continuum, the simple and the young. Verse 5 is now addressed to those on the other end of the continuum. Those who have wisdom already, those who are learned already. But notice that they are instructed just as forcefully to seek wisdom. Let the wise listen. And add to their learning is how the the NIV puts it. And I would say this is the very definition of what a wise person looks like. A wise person is always seeking to add to their learning. They're always seeking to grow. They never feel like they've arrived. They have everything figured out. They still show up with notebooks expecting to learn something new. I love people like that who are committed to lifelong learning. And this is true in every area of our lives. It's one of the things I've often or I've observed over the years working with families. It's often puzzled me that it seems like those who need to be there the least are the ones who show up the most. To training events and classes. And those who need to be there the most are the ones who show up the least. I mean, it's often those who already have good marriages who show up to, you know, marriage retreats and seminars. That's what wise people do. They say, look, yeah, this might be going well, but I want to make it even better. The key to becoming wise is maintaining a teachable spirit. As you read through the book of Proverbs, you will find that it makes this point repeatedly. So Proverbs 12, 15 puts it this way. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 26, 12 puts it even more forcefully. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And this is not all that different from what Jesus taught us in the New Testament, where he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus' point was not that there were some who were healthy and some who were sick. Or that there were some who were righteous and some who were sinners. His point is that it's only those who recognize their need for help who will get it. In the same way, it's only those who recognize their need for wisdom who will get it. Let me make a final observation about wisdom. And maybe this is the most important one for us to understand. It is that wisdom is not static but always directly proportional to our relationship with God. So the book of Proverbs, sometimes people read it as though it's this, you know, just collection of all these loose sayings that have for some reason been grouped together and you just kind of pull one out the way you might pull out a, you know, inside of a fortune cookie. That's not what the book of Proverbs is about. The book of Proverbs is rooted in a relationship with God. Verse seven is the foundational verse For the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So with some variation, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, occurs 18 times in the book of Proverbs. 
It's obviously a key concept. Wisdom comes from God alone. So we don't read this book as a collection of, of, of little nuggets. We should read it as a, an invitation to a relationship with God who is the source of all wisdom. Now look, the, the book makes some pretty lofty claims. It tells us about the value of wisdom and how we ought to sacrifice everything to get it. But we should not think that simply reading the book of Proverbs will make us wise. And Proverbs makes this abundantly clear when it says, Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. See, Proverbs are useless. This book will be useless to us if we do not align our lives with its wisdom. Or again, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. What a great picture, right? I mean, you can just kind of picture this guy, you know, stumbling around in the, in the dark or whatever. He's wielding this thorn bush, causing all sorts of damage. point is that just knowing or even memorizing some of the Proverbs will not give you wisdom. You will not have wisdom if you do not have a relationship with God who is the source of all wisdom. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And that expression is found throughout, that, that expression, the fear of the Lord, is found throughout the Old Testament. It combines the ideas of shrinking back in fear and drawing near In awe. It's a relational phrase. The Lord. That is God's covenant name. Yahweh. That name is used 87 times in the book of Proverbs. So we are invited here at the very beginning of the book. And I would say at the beginning of this series. To be be reminded. The way to become wise. Is to be in relationship with God. So I said that wisdom is not static, which is really a way of saying that it's not a sort of, you know, once wise, always wise equation or type of relationship. Look back at verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, I told you a little bit about the story of Solomon at the beginning, about how it was that he became wise and how he had amassed all this great knowledge in so many or and wisdom in so many different areas. But if you know anything about the life of Solomon, then you know that it was actually tragic. He was a man who started out with so much promise. He had so much wisdom. When he became king, he did not ask God for power or long life or military strength. He asked God for wisdom. Said to be the wisest man alive, but in the latter years of his life, Solomon did not retain his wisdom. He turned away from it. This is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 11. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And as you read through those latter chapters in 1 Kings, what you find is that Solomon was seduced by power. He was led astray by multiple wives and concubines and that he ended up worshiping false gods. 
It's a tragic story, but it's one that gets repeated all the time. And so I think it's fitting for us as we begin this series just to reflect on our own relationship with God, the source of wisdom. Are we walking in fellowship with him? Are we submitting our life to his word and to his wisdom? And I just want to pray for all of us that even as we go through the summer, our wisdom would increase. God, we just acknowledge before you that left to ourselves, we come up with all sorts of foolish ideas. Uh, but you have offered wisdom to us. And so we pray that we would see that not just as the accumulation of more information and facts, but that we would see the invitation to become wise as an invitation to know you more. And God, we pray that as we seek to do that, that you would in fact grant us your wisdom, that we would be able to testify that it, that it is more precious than jewels. There's nothing we desire that can compare with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.